Okie dokie. Hello. Oops. Hello. Hey. Okay. All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Let's look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Huh. Okay. All right. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, uh, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So this introduction tells us his name, his location, Job living in Uz, but also his character, blameless and upright. Um, is that saying that he's a good guy? Well, not just a nice guy, but blameless. You know, I, I think it's talking about God's perspective. This is God's best guy, you know, upright, you know, he does the right thing. You can always trust him to react in the way that God would react to a situation. And it's because it says verse one, he feared God, turned away from evil and two negatives, you know, fearing God, turning away from evil. That means he is just so aware of the consequences of sinning against God. I think there's a relationship there between that uprightness, but also that awareness of God. It's not an instinctive thing to want to do the right thing, but it comes from an awareness of God's judgment over those who sin against him, those who do wrong. God is a judge. God is holy. And therefore, Job has this kind of awareness that displays a real relationship with a holy God. Okay. Verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters, so 10 kids. He possessed uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, so 10,000 animals. They're not pets, I guess. <laughs> These are um, property. I, can, I guess a measure of his wealth in the ancient times, instead of stocks, he has 10,000 heads of sheep and camels. I'm sorry about the traffic outside. Um, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. So again, a thousand. These are multiples of 10, I guess, symbolic of the fullness of his wealth. And very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Um, I guess the term we use today is goat, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. So he was the Elon Musk of the ancient world when it comes to his success and achievements and his wealth and blessing. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. Wait, so there are seven sons. So each day, each son would have a big makan. <laughs> like reunion dinner every single day. So Monday to Sunday, every day got place to go and makan in one of these sons' houses. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So all as a family, verse five. And when the days of the feast had run their course uh, after seven days of the week, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So at the end of the week, Job would get them all to come. He would consecrate, holify, <laughs> make them acceptable. And the way that he made them acceptable before God 
in his holiness was that he would offer burnt offerings in accordance to their number. So um, everyone would be covered. Um, so there's uh, some, he's offering not just these sacrifices, burnt offerings means chao ta, you say in Hokkien, you know, something that you burn until it's a crisp. And the idea, the idea is that the whole animal is offered up. And therefore, um, each one is offered up for each and every one of his children. It shows his love for his children. He wants them to be acceptable before God, not just himself. He actually wants them to have that relationship with God as well. But in order for that to happen, they need to be consecrated. They need to be accepted or even forgiven of their sin. That's the intent of sacrifice is something that dies in our place, something that is judged so that we won't be judged for our sin. And it says, therefore, Job said, it may be that my children have sinned, there you go, you know, and cursed God in their hearts. So just the possibility, it may be, you know, just covering every base so that there is nothing that is uncovered by the sacrifice. So curse God in their hearts, just the motivation. This Job did continually. So his life was characterized by sacrifice, by worship of God, not just for God's sake, but for the sake of those he loved. You know, he prayed for them. He sacrificed for them. He wanted them to have this relationship with God that covered them in blamelessness. Okay. Yeah, okay, so that's just the introduction. Now let's carry on, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So um, Satan, uh, my footnote says, the Hebrew, the adversary, um, or the accuser, we will say today. Um, so there are two groups of people who come before God, the sons of God, talking about angels. It sounds like almost, you know, God being king in heaven. And these are his magi, <laughs> his underlings, you know, almost like a heavenly court or parliament. You know, these are like your MPs, except they're angelic. And so the sons of God make sense, you know, heaven, heavenly angels, but also the opposer, Satan, the accuser. And here Satan is his title, you know, his job is to accuse people, to point out their flaws, that guy, he's the pointer, the guy who points out all the wrong things that we've done. That's his job. Verse seven, the Lord said to Satan, it's interesting, there's a shift there. So previously it's talking about God, you know, verse one, um, Job feared God, but now a personal name, the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. That's a very interesting description of what Satan does all day. He patrols the earth. He goes around looking at everyone up and down to and fro everywhere on the earth, just looking and looking and looking, observing, and possibly gathering all the evidence for him to accuse all the people on the earth of their sinfulness. 
Okay, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Uh -huh. So God says, Have you seen this guy? Oh, wow, you know, it's almost as if God has been following Job's Instagram. <laughs> God is like subscribing to this channel. He knows everything that's happening to Job and he's getting other people. He's, he's liking and sharing Job's life with Satan. You know, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, again, even calling him my servant. You know, Job is someone who serves God. And God sees Job as his guy, his man, his servant. That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. Repeating verse 1, you know, God's own assessment of Job is that he is blameless. In God's eyes, this is the GOAT, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time who fears God and turns away from evil. Again, verbatim, verse 1, the description of this guy's character. And God is commending Job to the ultimate accuser. Said, this guy, try accusing him. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Mm -hmm. uh, have you not put a hedge around him? a wall around him and his house and all that he has on every side. Have you? Now, it's interesting. Satan is accusing God, not of Job. You know, he's saying, you have spoiled him. <laughs> and that's the idea of the hedge. The hedge is like a protective wall. You know, God has protected Job from everything. And not only him, his possessions as well, you know, his house, and everything he has, you know, it's secure because God has protected him from, I guess, attack, from the elements, from, you know, he's just blessed him, blessed him, blessed him. And there's nothing that he's ever suffered or lost in his life. And he says there, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But, verse 11, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Ah, so it's a challenge. You know, Satan says, you know, touch, uh, just nudge, you say, touch all that he has, just nudge yourself. Imagine like one of those uh, Jenga blocks, <laughs> and it's unstable. He's implying, you know, it, it's a very unstable thing that Job has, all these possessions. You just need to nudge it and watch what happens. So he's implying that Job's strong, upright, blameless character is that of a spoiled child. You know, a rich parent gave him everything and no wonder he listens to you. But also it's very precarious. It doesn't take very much, you know, for it to just topple over like those Jenga blocks. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, said to Satan, sorry, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Wow, God delivers everything, lock, sock, and barrel, into Satan's hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So it's almost as if God accepts Satan's bet. You know, Satan says, you know, do this against Job. I bet you he will curse you. I bet you. He won't stay firm. I bet you he won't be that blameless goat, you know, greatest of all time. And God says, yep, okay, I accept that bet. Not sure how I feel about that. 
you know, God and Satan in the same room. <laughs> Imagine them talking about you and God saying, you know, here, here he goes, you know, do whatever you want towards him, except, you know, it says, except him, don't, do not touch, but you know, everything else is fair game. That is a very scary thing, not just for Satan to say, but for God to agree to. Go ahead, go ahead. Mm, okay. And I guess it shows on the one hand, you know, Satan's schemes, you know, he, he wants to accuse God. You know, not, I mean, Satan, yes, he's irked by Job, but ultimately Satan wants to prove God wrong. So that's on the one hand. Satan is the accuser of us because he's the accuser of God's righteousness. So even God's grace, you know, why do you favor this person so much? But secondly, it shows God's sovereignty. Even Satan, for all the influence that he has, has to seek permission from God. It shows that ultimately, even in suffering, even in the temptation and the attacks of Satan, God is the one who stands above and beyond anything that we experience, even from the evil one. And it should reaffirm our, you know, our, our picture of God's highness and power and authority over everything, not just the good things, not just his people, but in fact over his enemies and even over Satan. Okay, let's finish up verse 13. Actually, there's a lot more to go. Verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine, having a good time, you know, makan, and also maybe getting very happy on happy juice, drinking wine, in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. Oh, no, I just realized this. So all the kids would have their meals in each son's house. I thought Job would be the, with them, but it sounds as if the kids would just have their own makans every week. So that's why it begins. With, it's one of those days when in the oldest son's house, all the kids were there. And then this messenger comes to Job to give him the news. Didn't realize that. Okay. And what's the news? He said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. So, wow, okay, all right. So all his property has been stolen by the Sabaeans and all his employees have been killed by the sword. And only this one person alive ran back and told Job, you know, you've essentially lost all your money. Yeah, someone stole it, stole all your property or all your assets, you know, all these donkeys and oxen. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another. The guy just came in, just told him, someone else walks into the room at the very same time. And he said, the fire of God fell from heaven. Let me say this again. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So in the first place, everything was stolen. Whatever remaining was burned up. <laughs> by a fire in heaven. How do you claim insurance on that? <laughs> if someone started fire, that's really one thing, but isn't the fire came from up above there? It can only mean that this is something that came from God. 
something that was supernatural, and something that was almost a sign of judgment or a test. You know, supernatural. It's not by human beings. These, this incidents, including the first incident of people, you know, first incident someone came and stole it, but this one, fire from heaven, makes you think. You know, in the grand scheme of things, again, you know, who is responsible not just for the good things, but also for the bad things? This is unmistakable. Only God could have allowed this. Hmm. Okay, there's more. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So while on every side, you know, more and more loss and more and more death. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. That's how the paragraph began. You know, they're all having their makan in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, a typhoon maybe, and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow. All his kids are die, are dead and killed by this freak force of nature. You know, blew upon the house and all the the walls, you know, imagine all the walls collapsing and just crushing all his kids while they're having this reunion dinner. And, you know, in the midst of this day of celebration, suddenly all this sadness, all this grief and all this loss happens in one fell swoop. Everything is gone. Verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, what was that song that... Matt, Red, Matt Redman, is that right? You know, blessed be your name. And then there's the line, you know, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And that is Job's situation where he's lost everything. And he acknowledges that everything he had was from God and everything he lost was taken away by God. And as a response to that, he worshipped God. I think acknowledging that God is God. I think it doesn't mean that he was happy. I think it means that he was very, very intensely sad and broken. But even these events reminded him that God was God, that God gives, God can take away. And in each and every situation, especially the tough ones, those are the moments that give us an opportunity to pause, to reflect and ask what's going on, and to respond to God, maybe even in blessing and acknowledging 
his name. He is the Lord. And the conclusion, verse 22, he did not sin or charge God with wrong. Yeah. Almost to say that God was right, you know, or that uh, maybe a sense of trust. You know, I, I think in even saying that God is right or God is blessed, it doesn't mean that Job knew what was happening. You know, Job didn't see Satan go to God and ask him for permission to do this. He didn't know what was going on in heaven, but he knew that God was God and that his life, even his very life comes from God. And worship, and reverence and fear is just that right response that is independent of who we are, but it is a reflection of who God is. He is the Lord, the God over everything. That's very sobering. That's very difficult. Yeah. I wonder what you think. Um, this is a hard thing to read. This is an even harder thing to live out. If we are going through suffering, if we've just experienced that kind of loss. I think the pain just makes this all the more real. <laughs> and, and I, again, you wouldn't wish this on someone, but at the same time, it does happen. And this gives us a glimpse into why, you know, that um, at the end of the day, behind the most tragic of circumstances. I'm thinking of some things that happened this morning even. Um, and um, you can read it in the news, you know, some things which are really, really sad. Many people who are crying out in grief and loss, perhaps in some measure close to what Job is experiencing right now and wondering if there is a God and if there is, well, how he could allow this to happen. And in some measure of comfort, um, in a strange way, knowing that God is God, that God is ultimately good and always, always in charge, especially during those moments when we cannot see his hand of goodness. Those are the moments when it can be a measure of relief to be able to worship him as God. Again, not easy. But again, I think that's um, the book of Job. It helps us gain that perspective of who God is. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, this reminder for ourselves, maybe even in preparation of times like these to come. Help us, even now, to worship you for who we are, independent of our circumstances, perhaps even in grief and tears and sackcloth and ashes, to give you glory showing you for the holy God, the worthy God that you are. And help us to do this by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>